Well, if you would take your Bible, then and turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. 2 Corinthians chapter 12. 2 Corinthians chapter 12. As we continue through this, these two books that I've been very, I believe, helpful to us. Uh, let's start reading verse 1. I'm going to read down through verse 10. It is not expedient for me, doubtless, to glory. I will come to visions and revelations of the Lord. I knew a man in Christ above 14 years ago. Whether in the body, I cannot tell. Or whether out of the body, I cannot tell. God knoweth. Such an one caught up to the third heaven. I knew such a man, whether in the body or out of the body, I cannot tell. God knoweth. How that he was caught up into paradise and heard unspeakable words, which is not lawful for a man to utter. Of such a one will I glory, yet of myself I will not glory, but in mine infirmities. Though I would desire to glory, I shall not be a fool. For I will say the truth, but now I forbear, lest any man should think of me above that which he seeth me to be, or that he heareth of me. And lest I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of the revelations, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh." the messenger of Satan, to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. For this thing I besought the Lord thrice, that it might depart from me. And he said unto me, My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities, that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in necessities, in persecutions, in distresses, for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then am I strong. The title of the message this morning is, Glory in That Which Profits. Glory in That Which Profits. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for your love and your mercies to us which are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. We thank you, Father, for the word that you preserved for us and given us in our own language. And I pray that as we look into the word of God today, that we'd be encouraged and strengthened and challenged and convicted where we are in need of conviction. I pray if there be any in our midst who this morning who do not have assurance of a personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ through repentance and faith, I pray that the Spirit of God will work in their hearts and bring conviction to that place surrender, repentance, trust in Christ as the only hope of salvation. So Lord, just encourage us, edify your saints. We do pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, a lot of people have a lot of things that they glory in. You know, the... uh, You know, we we could glory in... Churches can glory and put a lot of emphasis in buildings. You know, stained glass windows. You know, we have stained glass windows not because we wanted them or we installed them because they were here when we got the building. Uh, you know, but there are decorations and, and all the things that appear on the outward, people tend to glory in those things or pride themselves in those things. But when you boil it all down and come to the end of life, 
all those things are going to be of no value or little value. As we consider this passage here this morning, you know, Paul, of course, in the last chapter has has talked about, mentioned that, you know, they provoked him uh, to be a fool in boasting of his credentials, his position or appointment as an apostle, and the things that he endured as an apostle. And, and he could go on in glory about things that actually did happen in life. They were real life experiences. And he, and he mentions one here in chapter 12 about this, this, this revelation or this experience that he had, uh, some 14 years ago. And if you have dates in your Bible, most likely that'll put you back to the time that he was at Lystra, where he was stoned. Remember, he was, you know, carried out of the city and stoned and left for dead. And the disciples stood around about him, and, and, but he rose up and went back into the city. And many believe that it was during this time that Paul actually had this experience where, and, and he says whether it's in the body, out of the body, I cannot tell, I do not know. So he had this experience where he was caught up to paradise, to the abode of God, to the, to the, you know, speaks of, you know, the heavens talks about, uh, you know, the, you, we have the atmosphere and then you have the stars you, that you, you don't see with, you, you see and then, or see with the telescope. But beyond that is the abode of God. So he was caught up to the presence of God or the abode of God and, and heard things uh, that were unspeakable uh, and not lawful for man to utter. Kind of reminds me of what the Lord told Daniel in Daniel chapter 12. Shut up the book and seal it until the time of the end. In other words, interpretation of this book is not going to be until the time of the end. Revelation kind of unlocks the book of Daniel. But he, he, he heard things. But you know what? He says, it's not really important. That's not really important. Now, I could glory in that. But he said, that's not really important. And what I see here, first of all, is the vanity of self-glory, or, the, or we might say of boasting. In verse 1, again, he says, it is not expedient. That word expedient means profit. In other words, it's not profitable for me, doubtless, to glory. I will come to residence and revelations of the Lord. Verse 5, of such a one I will glory. He's talking about the Lord that he saw in paradise. I will glory in him, yet of myself I will not glory. You may like to boast of their strength, their glory in, 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 their, in their pride, and, and, and uh, maybe, you know, and to be pleased with what the Lord has done in your life and enabled you to do in your life, is, is, there's nothing wrong with that and being thankful for what God has done in your life, but, but we have to be careful that we don't be, are not puffed up with pride of our accomplishments or of our positions and, and, and turn around and exalt ourselves above God and think that we are the answer. You know, one of the dangers of a pastor, being a pastor or, or a person that counsels or helps other people is, sometimes you might, you might think, well, I just wish they'd come to me. Now, you aren't the answer, man. As Paul's going to point out here, 
The answer is in God. Now, we can be messengers. You and I can be messengers of counsel and help to reveal God to other people, but we are not the answer. As we think about this this morning, you know, I jotted down several things. Any one of us is capable of pride. Any one of us. You know, Pharaoh said, Who's the Lord that I should obey him? That was a very prideful statement. But Mary and Aram, Miriam and Aaron also in Numbers 12, these are servants of the Lord, choice servants of God. And they said, Hath the Lord indeed spoken only by Moses? Hath he not spoken also by us? And all the Bible says is, And the Lord heard it. The Lord heard it. See, what were they doing? They were, they were, they were exalting themselves. They were rising up against God's appointed man, whom God said, I will speak to you, Moses, and you can tell Aaron what to tell the people. But I will speak to you, Moses, face to face, as a man speaketh to a man. And see, what they're doing is rising up in their pride and saying, we can be like Moses. God hadn't given them that position. These were choice servants of God. Moses, or Aaron was the high priest of God, chosen to be the high priest. Miriam had led the women in singing the victory song after the crossing of the Red Sea, so she was a leader among the women. Do you ever think about why God reduced Gideon's army to 300? Well, the Bible says, lest Israel vaunt themselves and say, we have gotten the victory. I mean, here's the man who says, I'm the least of the least in Israel. Now, that's Byler's paraphrase of all those few verses there. You know, he talks about, you know, our tribe is the least and our family is the least in the tribe and I'm the least in my family. How can you get any lower? And yet it was this man whom God said, you got too many soldiers. I mean, he only had 10,000, and the enemy was as the, the sand of the sea for multitudes, so he was already greatly outnumbered, and God said, you have too many soldiers. Because those too many soldiers, they get the victory, will think, and you too will think, look what we have done. Pride comes in many forms. Some are proud of their wealth and their possessions. Others are proud of the lack thereof. Some are prideful of their intellect and their education. Others pride themselves in their ignorance. Some of their physical fitness and others of their lack thereof. Some in their physical beauty. And others are too proud to accept the blemishes that God has allowed in their physical features. The point is this. Men and women, human, be human beings, are proud creatures. 
self-sufficient. Proverbs 20, verse 6 says, Most men will proclaim everyone his own goodness, but a faithful man who can find. The story is told of a man who wanted to hire a carriage driver. He had three applicants. And to interview the applicants, he took them up on the side of a mountain where the road went along the cliff. And he asked the first applicant, how close can you get to the edge? He said, well, I can, very confidently, I can get within a foot of that cliff. And there'd be no danger. You know, I'm a, I'm a good driver. He said, thank you, sir. The second one said, he said, again, how close to the edge can you get and be safe? He said, oh, I can get right along that edge, no problem whatsoever. You know, I've been driving for years. And I wouldn't have any problem at all getting right up along that edge. He said, thank you, sir. He asked the third man, the third man said, I'm going to stay as far away from that edge as I possibly can. He said, you are hired. See, the others pride themselves in what they thought they could do. You see, men, some, you know, wisdom is much better than ability. So pride comes in many forms. Glory, and he says here, glory in itself is not expedient. It is not profitable. You know, from a ministry perspective, Paul had the opportunity to boast in his service for the Lord. He, if anybody had reason to boast, he had it. I mean, read the, the, the things that he suffered for the Lord. But if he boasted in his service, then those who, then, then, then who, those who he would administer to, who would they have been following? You know, this is what the believers at Corinth had lowered themselves to. If you look in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and, and verses 12 and 13, 1 Corinthians 1 verse 13, this is, this, is, this is a prideful thing that they had prided themselves in where it says, uh, Now this I say, that every one of you saith, I am of Paul, and I of Apollos, and I of Cephas, and I of Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? And so he asked them a question, was Paul crucified for you? So why would you say, I'm following Paul? Why would you say, I'm following Peter? Why would you say, I'm following Apollos, that great orator of the Scriptures? You know, it's interesting... There are some that I can tell, just tell, about tell where they went to Bible college. By their haircuts, how they walk, and their manners. We had a family visit here some time ago, and we walked in the door. You know, I thought to myself, probably came from House Anderson. And he did. Yeah, you can just about tell. Why? They're following men. They're not themselves. They act. They walk. They talk. They cut their hair. All like hot dogs. Cookie cutters. 
And they're arrogant. Sorry, but they're arrogant. A missionary called me one time when he was pastoring in Maine. He said, uh, I'll be at your church Wednesday night, such and such a day, to preach. And I'm, I'm from Howells Anderson. He was from Howells Anderson College, you know. And I'll just be there and I'll preach the service and present my ministry. But he didn't know who he was talking to. I said, No, you won't. It's just like they automatically had a meeting. You know, we don't have anything to glory in ourselves. And if we follow men, God doesn't want us to follow men. Now, Paul said, follow me. But what he clarified there, he said this three times. Follow me what? As I follow Christ. Because if you put 100% following in the Apostle Paul, at some point along the way, he's going to disappoint you. He's going to disappoint you. First Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7. For who maketh thee to differ from another? Or what hast thou that thou dost not receive? Now if thou dost receive it, why dost thou glory as if thou hast not received it? You know, we, we aren't anything special. God, you know, we have nothing to glory of. In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 16, he says, For though I preach the gospel, I have nothing to glory of. For necessity is laid upon me. Woe is unto me if I preach not the gospel. You know, the psalmist said in Psalm 39, verse 5, Behold, thou hast made my days as an handbreadth. That's, that's this, this is the measure of your handbreadth. You know, there's, there's, there's several measurements in the Bible. You, you have a handbreadth, you have a cubit, and that's generally considered from the length, tip of your hand figures to your elbow. Um, and, and, of course, there are other measurements which are bigger. But here's the smallest of, of measurements that's talk, spoken of in the Bible, the handbreadth. He says, my days are as a handbreadth, Mine age is as nothing before thee. Verily, every man at his best state is altogether vanity. See, you know, I hate to bust your bubble, but at your best state in the sight of God, you're just vanity. You're not worth much. In yourself. Well, notice, secondly, the expedience then, or the profit of revelation. Verses 6 and 7. For though I would desire to glory, I shall not be a fool. For I will say the truth, but now I forbear, lest any man should think of me above that which he seeth me to be, or that he heareth of me. And lest I should be exalted above measure, through the abundance of the revelations, there was given me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan, to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. Now, a couple words here. Of course, the word abundance means beyond measure or exceedingly or preeminently. Now, the word revelations means a disclosure of truth, instruction concerning divine, divine things before unknown. And so, Paul was given revelations, things before unknown. There was, there was disclosures of truth that were given by God through the Apostle Paul. We know we have a complete revelation today. There, there are no more of these uh, revelations as we describe that as it was given to Paul. Uh, and, and he talks about those in some other places. So there was this abundance of revelations. In fact, in Ephesians chapter 3, he, he uh, makes reference of it. 
Ephesians 3, verses 1 through 9, For this cause I, Paul, the prisoner of Jesus Christ, for you Gentiles, if you have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God which is given me to you, word, how that by revelation he made known unto me the mystery, as I wrote afore in a few words, whereby you, when you read, you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ, which in other ages was not made known unto the sons of man, as it is now revealed unto his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit, that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs in the same body and partakers of this promise, of his promise in Christ by the gospel. And, and of course, so this mystery that was something before he had that was now revealed, you know, some think re, some some think that that mystery was that the Gentiles can get saved. That's not what the mystery is. Do you realize that Gentiles got saved in the Old Testament? You know, I believe that Nebuchadnezzar got saved. In Nebuchadnezzar in Daniel four seven, Nebuchadnezzar said this. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the king of heaven. All whose works are truth, and his way is judgment, and those that walk in pride, he is able to abase. You know, I think that Nebuchadnezzar got saved. It's my opinion. Naaman the leper. I believe he got saved. In 2 Kings 5.17, after he goes back you know, he's healed. He, he dipped seven times as Elijah told him, and he's healed of his leprosy. And he goes back to, to Elijah and wants to pay him for, for what has been done to him. And of course, Elijah wasn't taking anything. But then he says, Can I request one thing? And this is what he asks. Second Kings 5.17 And Naaman said, Shall not then I pray thee be given to thy servant two mules burden of earth? For thy servant will henceforth offer neither burnt offering nor sacrifice unto other gods, but unto the Lord. You see, he wanted to take some ground from Israel back to uh, uh, Syria so that when he went into the, the house of their gods, he would take this earth from the land of Israel and he would kneel upon it and he would worship the God of Israel and not the God of the Syrians. Of course, the Ninevites. Jonah 3.5 says, So the people of Nineveh believed God, proclaimed a fast, put on sackcloth from the greatest of them even to the least of them. Verse 10 says, And God saw their works, that they turned from their evil way. That's repentance, by the way. And God repented of the evil that he had said he would do unto them, and he did it not. You see, it's revelation, or the revealing of God, that prophets, the revealing of the person of God to people, and, and then their repentance and trust in him. You know, Without God, God being revealed to you and I, we would never be or never have been saved from the wrath or judgment of God. Romans, 8, or Romans 1, 18 says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth and unrighteousness. Because that which may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has showed it unto them. For the invisible things of Him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even His eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Because that, when they knew God, they glorified Him not as God. 
became vain in their imaginations. Their foolish heart was darkened. Professing themselves to be wise became fools. You see, God reveals himself in his creation. And then if you read on through the book of Romans, he continued to reveal himself through Moses and the prophets, the Lord Jesus Christ. John seventeen or John one eighteen says that that the that you know uh, Christ that he hath declared him. In other words, he's manifested God to the world. He's revealed him to the world. And Paul says that he's revealed uh, uh, God has revealed himself through the apostles and prophets and Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. The mystery that Paul revealed was the church, that in the church, the body of Christ, Jew and Gentile could be one in Christ. Ephesians 2, 11 through 22 talks about that, and he uses a metaphor of, the, of a building to describe a church. And he goes on to describe it as an habitation of God through the Spirit. And it was through Paul that particular instructions were given to further explain church doctrine and policy. Romans, First and Second Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, First and Second Thessalonians, those are what we call church epistles. And then you have the pastoral epistles, instructions particularly to pastors, First and Second Timothy and Titus. And the purpose that God gave these writings was to reveal Himself to us through Paul. Now, God God has given these instructions concerning the behavior of His churches. First Timothy 3.15 tells us that he given us so that we know how we ought to behave thyself in the house of God with the church of the living God. So God has given us these instructions through Paul uh, to his churches so the churches know how to conduct themselves and believers know how to conduct themselves. But the prophet is not in Paul. The prophet is in the revelations of God. Paul was simply a vessel whom God used to reveal his truth to us. You know, this is what we're to be. You and I are to be vessels of the Lord to reveal or to manifest God to a lost and dying world. We are ambassadors for Christ. But the prophet is not in us. If all they see is us, and they don't see beyond us and see what the source of change is and in fact is in our life, that is God, there's no prophet. You know, Jeremiah 9, 23 and 24 says this, Thus saith the Lord, Let not the wise man glory in his wisdom, neither let the mighty man glory in his might, let not the rich man glory in his riches, but let him glorieth, he that glorieth, glory in this, that he understandeth and knoweth that I am the Lord, which exercise loving kindness, judgment, and righteousness in the earth, for in these things I delight, saith the Lord. See, there is profit in Revelation. Why don't you notice a third thing we see here in this passage? 
And now this one we don't like. The prophet of infirmities. Verses 7 through 10. Lest I should be exalted above measure, through the abundance of revelations there was given to me a thorn in the flesh. The messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. For this thing I besought the Lord thrice, that it might depart from me. And he said unto me, My grace is sufficient for thee, my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities, that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in necessities, in persecutions, in distressions for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then am I strong. You know, Paul had an infirmity in the flesh. He describes it as a thorn in the flesh. Now, if you had a thorn in your flesh, what would you want to do with it? Oh, just leave it there. I don't mind living with it. Did you ever sit on a tack? You know, I went to public school. It's been a few times when I was in school, and I never did this, I don't think. Uh, I never did this, but I've known people that set tax on somebody else's seat. It does get a reaction. And that's the idea of a thorn here. It's something you want to get away from. Now, what this thorn was in Paul's flesh, it was something in his flesh that affected his flesh. We don't know for sure. We have a likely indication In Galatians chapter 4, verses 13 through 15, Paul makes reference there to an eye problem that he had when he says in verse 13 through 15, Galatians 4, ye know how that through infirmity of the flesh, so he calls it an infirmity of the flesh, I preached the gospel unto you at the first. My temptation which was in my flesh ye despised not, and you were rejected, but received me as an angel of God, even as Christ Jesus. Where is then the blessedness you spake of, for I bear you record that if it had been possible, you would have plucked out your own eyes and have given them to me. So I think it's obvious that Paul had some kind of eye problem. And, and, and many believe that's what his, and I, and I personally, that's what I think, that that was the thorn in the flesh he had. Um, many think he had ophthalmia, I think that's how you pronounce it. It's an inflammation of the eye, especially of its membranes and internal structures, and it, it affects your appearance also. You know, probably he had bloodshot eyes. Of course, remember that he was blinded. When the Lord met him on the road to Damascus, he was blinded by the brightness of the light, the glory of God that was manifested there. And, and when Ananias laid his hands on him at Damascus and laid his hands on him, his, the, it says that scales fell off his eyes. And so he had this thorn in the flesh. Now, I can imagine that maybe these others who were trying to discredit Paul pointed to Paul's thorn and said, you see, there's something not right in his life. Do you ever have somebody, you have an infirmity or you have a struggle in your life and somebody may point their fingers, some high-minded uh, uh, Jehu may point their fingers at you and say, you know, if you just get right with the Lord, everything will be okay in your life. Why don't you tell that to David? 
Why don't you tell that to Jeremiah? You know, if, if it'd be right, Jeremiah would slap you if you said that to him. Many times those kind of people are just ignorant of their own sin and pride. They're not sensitive to sin in their own lives. I think sometimes look at us, if you have a small church, you must not be spiritual. We well, you know a deer it lays along the road in the sun, gets bigger and bigger. Until an old buzzard comes along, pokes his beak through it. And the stench then is known by everyone around. It's revealed. You know, I think this pandemic is revealing substantious. You know, Abraham trust struggled with trusting God for a son. God had to cripple Jacob to get him to submit. You know, Jacob was always trying to connive his way out of things. He was always conniving and manipulating the circumstances. And you know what God finally did? He crippled him. Crippled him. Job suffered great infirmities of body and mind and emotion. And God's faithful people down through the history have suffered infirmities and reproaches, persecutions, distresses, as Paul mentions them here. But you see, these infirmities... I want you to notice something about infirmities. Infirmities keep us trusting or relying on the Lord. Notice verse 7 again. Lest I should be exalted above measure, through the abundance of revelations, there was given unto me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. You see, these, these infirmities that Paul had kept him from it being, them exalting himself and others exalting him above that which he should be. You know, sometimes it, 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 the Lord allows infirmities into our lives to, to keep us trusting or keep us relying on the Lord or bring us back to trusting in Him. You remember David, one time he, 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 he failed to trust God and he went to, 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 uh, to Gath and, you know, he, and, and, and the king of Achish gave him Ziklag, and everything seemed to be going just great. You know, I mean, he was invading these other countries, and they come back and telling Achish that he was invading Judah. And all was covered up until, until the Philistines decided to go fight against Israel. Now he's in a quandary. Now he's between a walk and a hard place. And then he goes. Of course, the Philistines' captains didn't want him going, so he's sent back home. But in the meantime, Emelech, I think it was Emelech, burned Ziklag, took his wives, children, all captains. You know, what was God trying to do in David's life? Well, I think 1 Samuel 30, verse 6 and verse 8 tells us you know, they were ready to stone him, but the Bible says that David encouraged himself with the Lord. And then verse 8 says David inquired of the Lord. You know, he didn't inquire of the Lord about going to 
to Ziklag. He didn't inquire of the Lord whether I ought to go along with the Philistines to fight against Israel. See, infirmities will keep us trusting or relying on the Lord. Secondly, bearing infirmities demonstrates the power of God in your life. Notice verses 9 and 10. And he said unto me, My grace is sufficient for thee. For my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most glad, therefore, would I rather glory in my infirmities, that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities and reproaches and necessities and persecutions and distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then am I strong. Now, what was it in Job's life that proved the devil wrong? Was it the wealth that he had and his faithful children that he had as they lived in good circumstances? See, Job said, if you let me touch him, he'll curse you to your face. That's what he said to God. God said, okay, you can touch him. And Job 1 tells us that he lost his Wealth, his oxen, his cattle, his sheep. He lost all that. And then he lost his children. But the last verse in that chapter says, in all this, did not Job sin with his lips. The Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. You see, it was those difficult, those distresses, those difficulties that proved the devil a liar. But not only that, he said, well, you let me touch his body, then he'll curse you to his face, to your face. God said, all right, but you can't take his life. And so he had boils from the top of his head to the bottom of his feet. But you might have, you know, one boil is enough, to, is unbearable. You know, I've never had boils, but I've had, like, poison ivy on maybe, you know, a small part of my body, less than, uh, you know, one-eighth, probably. It's miserable. But, man, to have something like that all over your whole body. And then to scrape yourself. And his wife said, why don't you curse God and die? He said, should we see good from the landlord? And now evil? And again, you see, all these things, he proved the devil wrong. In all these, it was in his distresses, in his infirmities, that he demonstrated the power of God in his life. Not when everything was going great. Micaiah suffered in Ahab's prison. And any man would have liked to have been free. But he was brought forth. Again, he demonstrated the power of God by pronouncing judgment of God upon Ahab. Look at Matthew 5, verses 43 through 48. Matthew 5, verse 43 through 48. Ye have heard that it hath been said, 
Thou shalt love thy neighbor and hate thine enemy. That's what the world does. But I say unto you, love your enemies, bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate you, pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you, that ye may be the children of your Father which is in heaven, for he maketh his son to rise on the evil and on the good, and sendeth rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love them which love you, what reward have ye? Do not even the publicans the same? And if you salute your brethren only, what do ye more than others? Do not even the publicans so? Be therefore perfect, even as your Father which is in heaven is perfect. You know, if you become bitter and vindicative over things and that people have wronged you, you're no better than the lost world. When you can suffer infirmities of body and mind and praise and serve the Lord, when you are reproached and the world thinks you're a fool, narrow-minded, you, and you know, biblical standards of righteous conduct are, are legalistic and out of date, and when they tell you you will lose your kids who behave while theirs run wild, and you can endure it with grace, and you suffer wrong and don't seek revenge. That's true Christian character in conduct. And that demonstrates, again, the power of God. See, it demonstrates the power of God. Anybody can rejoice when everything's going great. But how we react and respond in times of difficulty. Peter says in 1 Peter 3 in verse 13, or 18, Who is he that will harm you if you be followers of that which is good? But, and if you suffer for righteousness' sake, happy are ye, and be not afraid of the terror, neither be troubled. Sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. Having a good conscience, that whereas they speak evil of you, you know, there will be those who question your intentions. And it may be, sometimes it's those that are closest to you. Question your motives. Having a good conscience, that whereas they speak evil of you as evildoers, they may be ashamed that falsely accuse your con good conversation in Christ. For it is better, if the will of God be so, that ye suffer for well-doing than for evil-doing. For Christ also hath once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us unto God, being put to death in the flesh, but quickened by the Spirit. You see, just as... God's love is demonstrated to us by His Son, giving His Son as a sacrifice for sin. Now that sounds like a contradiction. You know, Hebrews 12, 3 talks about He suffered the contradiction of sinners against Himself. And one man described that this way. Think of the Son of God, the perfect Son of God, who knew no sin, who never sinned becomes sin for us. That's a contradiction. That God could become sin. It's like trying to mix oil and water. It's an impossibility. But praise God, nothing is impossible with God. And it seems like a contradiction that through suffering, 
God could be glorified in my life and in yours. But he is. You know, it was the weak David. Think about it. The weak David. Through that weak David, God's power was demonstrated in the feet of the strong Goliath. And in your weakness, God's power can be demonstrated to a lost world in, in a way that nothing else can, can measure up to. David appeared weak in comparison. You may feel and appear weak, but remember, the battle is the Lord's. You know, it was Paul's desire that those he ministered to would see Christ in his life so that they in turn would have the opportunity to experience that power, same power of God in their own lives. You see, there is profit in infirmities. There's profit. Do you want God to be glorified in your life? You glory in and seek the things that profit. Knowing God. Understanding God. And relying on His strength and your weakness. Paul said in Philippians 3.10 that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His sufferings being made conformable unto His death. You see, we need to glory in the things that profit. In the things that profit. Glory in knowing, having knowledge, the revelation of God, the understanding of God, and in infirmities wherewith God can be manifested in our life before a lost and dying world. Is God glorified in your life this morning?